Welcome back. It's another episode of the Compulsive Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Peter Widom. You can find me at peterwidom.com and, of course, the podcast and everything else at compilescript.com. Well, WWDC 22 is over, and what a week it was. So much stuff. So much stuff. In fact, it's very hard to figure out, well, where do I start? And first of all, I want to say thank you to Leo Dion. If you did not check it out, go back and check the previous episode and the links there where we talk about the keynote and the State of the Union and our thoughts on that. Again, I'll put links in the show notes. And I thought to myself, what better place to start for us as developers than talking about some of the notable changes that I think are notable changes anyway in Xcode 14. So I'm going to spin through a few very fast, quick, not much to say topics, and then we'll get into some of the really more interesting ones. First of all, Xcode 14 is supposed to have 25% faster builds. This is all according to Apple and the information that we have, of course. The download was interesting. It was approximately 30% smaller. Now, I think this is most likely due to the lack of included SDKs and simulators. When you have downloaded Xcode 14 and you run it, you get a screen that comes up where you can install extra SDKs like the watch, tvOS, and those kind of things. And, of course, later on you can add more simulators. I actually think this is a good change, right? We certainly don't need all those SDKs for most of us, I think. For example, I don't need the tvOS SDK at all. So being forced to download all of those SDKs and the simulators in the previous versions of Xcode certainly added to the bulk. I want to say Xcode 14 was about an 8 gig download for me, if I remember rightly, this time when I did it. So that's a noticeable change. It was at least a couple of gig smaller, just because of those SDKs, I think. They also say that notarization is four times faster. I've not tried it out. I'm going to take them at their word on that. Interestingly, if you are now into Swift UI, and if you didn't take anything away from the conference other than this one thing, take away the fact that Apple really wants you to use Swift UI at this point. They could not have made it clearer. So the Swift UI canvas in the live preview mode, it now runs basically in live preview mode by default. So you don't have to hit the run button to see a live preview. Yes, you always get those static uh, previews that we've had previously. I'm talking about the one where you run it as the full functionality, as it were, of the simulator kicks in the IDE. That is now the default mode. And yeah, that's going to choose some extra cycles in your machine, but I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Anytime you can see a live running version of whatever you're working on in Xcode, that's going to get my vote because there's nothing worse than that. Make a change, run it, check it, and keep doing that cycle. So I'm in favor of this, right? There's also a new feature in the IDE called the Swift Package Plugins. Now, I'm not 100% certain I understand this, but basically, if I've got this right, on the surface at least, you can now create Swift Package Plugins that can be used directly in Xcode. If there's one thing Xcode needs, it's the ability for user extensions. Yes, we've had some systems in the past, but let's be honest, they've never been that great. So I think this works through Swift packages and you can create a plugin for Xcode. And in there, you can work with the editor in that sandbox that they've always had in place. But it does open up new options for user-created functionality in Xcode. One that I liked, and I've mentioned this previously, is as you scroll through the code, 
there's like a sticky header at the top of the editor. You'll have seen this in many web pages. If you think about tables in Swift UI or lists where you're scrolling and you get to the the top of the section, gets to the top of the screen, and then it sticks there as you keep scrolling, and then when you scroll down, it moves down as need be. Think of that, and it's now basically exactly the same thing for your code in the editor. This, to me, is fantastic because... It's very easy to forget sometimes what struct, what class am I working in, which function am I in, all of those kind of things. Well, this now squarely puts it right at the top of the editor for you to see it. There's also an added bonus functionality here because you can click on those sticky headers and go to the relevant section of code. So, for example, if you're, let's just say, theoretically within a function, within a function, within a struct, you could click on that first level function and it'll scroll up to there uh, and then click on the struct and it'll go to the top of the struct, right? I think if you think about it in those terms, it'll make sense. Certainly when you've seen it and done it the first time, you'll get it after that. I think that this is a nice addition to the editor. Time for a break. I want to tell you about DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a hosting company that I use for a lot of my projects, and I'm going to tell you, rather than just the usual thing that you hear on AdWords, I'm going to tell you exactly how I use it. It is so simple to set up. You just log in, and I can set up very quickly with a few clicks whatever kind of instance I need on a server with whatever OS or pre-installed apps. I'm going to give you a perfect example here. It is so easy to set up Swift on the server-side Vapor, and I did that recently, and it, it was painless. You know, I went in there and I set it up and before you knew it, my Swift app, I was bouncing off the APIs that I had created on the server side and testing everything that I needed to be tested. But you don't have to use it for projects just like that. You can really use it to host anything you want for any length of time because you're really only paying for the resources as you use them. You're not paying ahead. And they have 14 globally distributed data centers and 99.99% uptime I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go to peterweedham.com forward slash D-O-C-E-A-N. That's D-O-C-E-A-N. And that'll give you some free credits to get started with. Break time over. There's a big improvement to the destination selector. Two actually notable improvements. One is that there is this recently used option and recently selected option at the top of the list. So we've all seen this, right? You get a crazy long list of figured simulators, Xcode, sorry, iPhone 13, 13 Max, 13 Max with a phone, 12, 12 Max, iPad, all of these kind of things, right? Well, now the ones as you use them will appear in that recently used section at the top. So you can just go ahead and click on it there. And that's going to be a lot easier than going through that list all the time. So if you only use two or three of them, you're going to see those sticking around at the top of the list to make things easier. Now, along with that, another nice functionality improvement, if you like, to the UI is there is a search box at the top of that list. So the example they give in the videos, for example, you could just type in Max, and it's going to give you a filtered list of all of the simulators with Max in the name right? Again, there are folks that have to test against many different devices and configurations and everything else. This is going to help you navigate that device list so much easier, I think. 
and it's especially with the search functionality it's just a nice improvement there to, to make the quality of life better every day so i think that's something that most of us will probably use at some point until we get that list of that recently used list of just the ones that we care about each of us individually right Another change in the editor is you can now, you're probably familiar with this, where you can command click on, say, a function name in the editor and you get the options come up. Well, one of those options is to show the list of callers. So when you do that and you select callers, it's going to show you in your code base everything that's calling that function. And this probably works with others as well. I just played with it on the function to test it out, but it works really nice. I can see, for example, oh, there's five places in my code base calling this function. And of course you can click on any of those in the list and jump to the code. That's another nice quick addition to, to move around your code base there. Big thing with Xcode, of course, is to be really like super productive with it. You wanna know a lot of these shortcuts, keyboard shortcuts, combination sort of gesture and mouse click shortcuts as well. I think over time you don't realize it but you start to pick these ones up and certainly a command clicking on something always gives you a list of useful options. I think try the callers out I think you'll appreciate it. Let's talk about the live preview canvas in for SwiftUI in Xcode now. So in Xcode 14 there's a new option at the bottom there's a new icon on that screen that you can click and it allows you to go in and set up variants. So instead of going to menus and having to make choices or pre-configure previews or anything like that, you can now click this icon and you can do things like switch the preview between light and dark mode or here's a big one for me. You can now set the device orientation, right? Because I'm forever having to see things in landscape and it's just a pain. Well, now you just click this icon. You can say, I want a, a landscape variant and it's going to show it to you. Along with that as well is another nice one for checking dynamic text. What it's going to do on the dynamic text is very clever. It'll show you a variety of windows with, or previews, I should say, of a device with different settings on that dynamic text. So you can very quickly check for any serious layout issues if you've got someone sets their device to really small text or really big text you could you get like a sort of a big thumbnail version is the only way i can describe it so you can spot pretty quickly any areas that have issues so that's going to be nice for me it's all about the device orientation but it's nice to have all those variant options right there on a button to click instead of like i say having to go to menus or configure that the preview mode back in the Swift UI file. Let's talk about logs for a second. Logs are important once you've shipped, right? We always have long build times for various things. And there is now tools to help us understand why we're getting long build times. So if you go over to the build logs when you make a build, you'll actually find a new view in there that'll show you, it's called the build timeline. And it breaks down on this timeline the various parts that it can identify for your build. So very quickly in there, you can see the, like a bigger, the bigger sections basically show the longer times, right? So you can see things like any bottlenecks, where your slowdowns are, things like that. And then you can go in and you can go in and inspect and work with those. And of course, hopefully make them better and improve your build times. There is another thing worth mentioning on the reports. 
and that is the feedback report. So once you've shipped your app and it's up in test flight and people are testing it for you and they're using hopefully that feedback mechanism, well, right now in Xcode, you can actually see those reports directly in Xcode along with all the comments from users, photo image, the screen captures and everything else. And there's a very easy to use button on the right hand side where you can now reach out and talk directly with the tester by way of you click this button, you get an email, you can send them an email and that kind of thing. But And all the details about their device are there as well. So if you want to get back with them and ask them questions, you can do all of this now in Xcode without having to go anywhere else, like up to the opening up the web portal or anything like that. So that's another important one. There's another report as well. There's one called the hang report. What a great name. So what is it? It's when your app hangs, right? So let's say you've shipped it, your app is out in production, right? The It's out in the app store. You can check this hang report and this comes from the app store version and it's going to show the versions of your app and show you basically where there's any problems, where it might be hanging for the user. Now, that's great, but what's even better about this is you can dive into that report and then you can have back traces and also the ability to jump right into the offending code in the UX code project in the editor for where this hang takes place. So hopefully that's going to get you on track really quickly to solving your problems with hangs in production and things like that. Time for a break. Hey everybody, it's Peter Whittam here from the Compulsory Podcast. I want to tell you about Setapp. Setapp is a service that provides a subscription fee of just $10 a month and you get access to over 200 Mac applications and it's also available now on iOS as part of that deal. I use the service because it just has a ton of really good first-rate apps that I use all the time. And for me, it's invaluable as a developer to have access to tools for things like APIs, for planning projects, uh, writing emails, writing documentation. And you can get all of these things, including database apps, all of that kind of stuff, right there on the Setapp service for just $10 a month. You can use as many or as few applications as you need. If you're interested in checking this out, go to peterwidham.com, P-E-T-E-R-W-I-T-H-A-M.com forward slash set app, S-E-T-A-P-P. And you can see the details there. And it's got a link that you can go over and start using the service and see how it works out for you. I strongly recommend this to every Mac user. Break time over. An interesting new option as well for build targets. As you may be aware, you have to have build targets for each of the SDKs you want to build against, right? So you're going to have a target for iOS, you're going to have a target for Mac, for iPad, for watch, whatever it may be. The good news is for most of us, we can probably do away with most of those now because you now have the ability to have one build target that will support multiple platforms and multiple SDKs. So you basically have this one target and all you need to do now for the most part, is list the differences via configuration for each of those platforms. If you're finding that 90% of your app is the same for most, let's say iOS, Mac, and iPad, for example, and all the code base is the same, but there's just very, a few little tweaks, 
Well, now you don't have to have a different build target for each of those. You can have one that covers that 90%, and then you're just going to configure those differences. And I'll go into this a bit more in the future. This is very interesting how this works. It's actually very clever. And it's better to explain it probably via a video, but you can go into the editor. There's a little plus button. You can hit a plus and specify the details specific to that platform. But having this one build target is greatly going to help out there. It's going to take a little while to get used to for sure and certainly a while to understand it. But I think in the long run this is probably going to be a good thing. And then lastly, one that I want to mention, which may not sound like much unless you ask your designers and then they're going to go, oh hell yeah, that's a big thing. And that is to do with icon sizes. And this one gets my vote because you, de you can design an icon and then it takes, you've now got to go and design different versions or even just rescaling different versions for each of those slots in the asset manager for your app icon. We've all seen it. And it's a nightmare because you've got to match up the pixel sizes and drag the right files in for the right icon size and everything else. Apple has finally found a way to make this useful for us and to automate the task. What you can do is basically you can upload or take into your assets, right, a nice big, clear, shiny version of your what you want your app icon to be. And then you can select that image, that, that icon that you've got in place, and you can change it on the right-hand side in the inspector. You can change, there's a property, and you can change it to what's called single size. And what that's going to do is, in the background, Xcode is going to take that one that you specified as that single size, and it's going to generate all the other sizes for you. Now, this is not going to be flawless. It's not some magical miracle for having to never touch icons again. Depending on your icon, you are still going to want to edit and tweak visually some of, say, the smaller versions where you want a simplified graphic or something like that. But this is going to do all the heavy lifting for you to get all those different sizes in place. And then hopefully as you test it or you look at it in the asset manager, you're going to realize, oh, okay, I need to make a simpler version for the 29 pixel size. The one that I've got doesn't look great. I need to make a simple version, something like that. But at least this is going to make all the different sizes for you instead of you having to do it and put them in place. Doesn't sound like a big thing on the surface, but once you do it, you'll realize, well, this is huge. And like I say, your designers are going to thank you for not having them supply you with all the different pixel sizes. So that's a big deal. So this is a lot of the stuff that I've got as I've gone through looking at Xcode 14. And these are the sort of what I call the big ticket items. These are the quality of life, especially things like the faster builds, the changes to the editor and all of these improvements that are going to help us hopefully in a stable let's hope stable xcode 14 and uh, for the next year until we get the next version xcode 15 but i think that a lot of this is heading in the right direction but again the clear message from apple is as you probably figured from this list most of it is all about okay time to time for everybody to start switching to swift ui that's where we want you to be that's where all the new features and functionality are going to be. There was some improvements for, obviously a lot of improvements for Swift. We'll talk about those separately. But it was very clear as well that like Objective-C is on the back burner now. So Objective-C and non-Swift UI based stuff is definitely starting to get 
pushed a little back further down the queue and they want you to start using Swift UI and a lot of these new features are aimed at making that simpler for you. So that's it. That's my take on Xcrew 14. I would love to hear what you think about this. Reach out to me, compileswift.com or compileswift on any of the networks. Let's get a conversation going. If you want to come on the podcast and talk about it, great, let's do that. Again, go to compileswift.com, follow the contact there, reach out to me and we'll get a conversation going. I think Xcode 14 has got some nice stuff in there. I'm hoping there's a massive amount of bug fixes under the, the hood. As of the first beta, it was still preparing my watch every time. Even though I don't think I installed the watch SDK, I could be wrong, but I'd have to check that. But So that one's still there right now. But anyway, a lot of new stuff for us to play with. I'm going to leave it there for now. I might try and put some of this in a video, but that's it. I will see you in the next one. Take care of yourselves. 